0: Psalm 139, let's read all 24 verses. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. For the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path. In my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and willfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, And in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to You, Father. For the great truth and the blessing that Your word is to it. It is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage, this psalm, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would be working in our midst, giving us understanding and insight to the truth that is here. And that as Your Word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray that we find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil which brings about great and abundant fruit for Your glory. We pray now for Your blessing upon Your Holy Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes, and perhaps now is such a time, our lives can feel like everything around us is closing in and and surrounding us and almost sensing that, that we're going to be crushed by it. There's many worries and concerns about ourselves and about those close to us. Many duties and responsibilities that we must fulfill, but seemingly there's little time and energy to do them. Many pressures upon us. Caring for others, paying bills, doing well at work or our studies, and of course, the ever-present pressure of conforming to the ways of the world and giving in to temptation. And sin. It can all be so overwhelming. And yet often the one thing that we need to do. We may not do. Because it just seems to add to the burden of pressure time. And and responsibility that we already have to deal with. That one thing. Is to make sure we have a quality time. Devoted to seeking the Lord through prayer and reading, studying, and meditating on His Word. Now, of course, most of us, thankfully, do a fine job of taking this time once per week and gathering together on the Lord's Day with the people of God to worship Him, even as we are doing now. But what about during the week? How much time do you spend... Seeking the Lord during the week. Seeking to grow in faith and be strengthened and encouraged through God's Word and prayer. When was the last time you read a passage of Scripture and, and just simply meditated upon it for a while? When was this last time that you simply meditated upon the truth of who God is and what He's done? Indeed, if we would take even a few minutes each day to, to simply meditate and wonder about the character of our God and our Creator, we may find that the more we focus on Him, well, the smaller our current problems and pressures become. Not that they completely go away, of course, but but the more we ponder the greatness and awesomeness of our God, the more we come to realize that He's so much bigger then all these things that we're concerned about and many of those things which we don't even have any control over. And of course, if we truly are His, as we meditate upon these things, we'll be reassured that He'll care for us and that He will provide for us all that we truly need in order to endure whatever the trial is that we're going through. This taking time in the midst of, of struggles and trials to meditate and wonder about God our Creator is what we find David doing here in Psalm 139. In this psalm, David considers several key attributes of God. He meditates upon them, and as he does so, he gains confidence and assurance to call God to action, to deliver Him, and to strengthen Him in His own journey of faith. And so the first attribute that David considers is the omniscience of God. Omniscience is a big word, but it simply means that God knows all things. He knows all things past, present, and future because He's eternal. He knows all things perfectly and fully he's because He's infinite in His being. But it's not just that God knows all things. He knows us. He knows you. Fully and completely. As David says in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the first thing that we want to note here is that the Lord knows us and is knowable. That is, he, He knows us because He created us. And because He has revealed Himself to us through His creation and His Word. Then he is knowable. And so our God is a personal God with whom we can have a relationship. A relationship of knowing one another truly and sincerely with our Creator. He truly knows us, and we can truly know him. But what is it that God knows about us? He knows everything. David says, you have searched me. God has has conducted a thorough examination, investigated every aspect of David's life, so that there's nothing about David that is unknown to God. And because God is infinite and eternal and has perfect knowledge, it's true that God knows David better than David knows himself. Beloved of God, this is true for us as well. That God has the most intimate, full, and complete knowledge of us, His creatures. He knows all our actions. As David asserts in verse 2, You know my sitting down and my rising up. Now this may seem kind of insignificant. right? Why should, should God even care about uh, such a little action as, as sitting down in a chair and then getting up? Well, this is simply a way for David to communicate... That God knows every action that He takes. See, if the Lord knows the little actions, like sitting down and and standing up, then certainly He will know and have knowledge about the greater things that we do, whether good or bad. Knowledge about uh, how we may be helping people and doing good. But He also knows when we do evil and when we sin, and it's because God knows all our actions that he is then able to be a perfect righteous judge. As, as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So God can rightly judge our actions because he knows all of them. But God also knows all our thoughts. Even before we take action or speak a word, God knows the thought that we had even before it's expressed. In verse 2, you understand my thoughts afar off, and then again in verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So here we have what we think is is most secret. Right? Our thoughts and our desires, God knows full well. They're not hidden from him. He knows our thoughts, concerns, desires, struggles, hopes, and dreams. He knows it all. He also knows our path and our way. Verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. See, God knows the direction of our hearts and our lives. He knows our will. He knows our goals, our strengths, and our weaknesses every predisposition we may have, every preference we have, all of our habits, our manner, our attitudes, our routine, how we respond, what we say and what we do. God knows it all. Nothing is hidden from Him. He knows all things. Every thought, word, or deed, whether it's day or night, whether it's expressed publicly or privately, God knows all there's no escaping his searching eyes as david says in verse five it says if god has hedged me behind and before it and laid his hand upon me and so consider the omniscience of god friends and what a great comfort it ought to be to us because god knows when we're hurting He knows when we're sad, when we're lonely, when we're depressed. He knows when we're sick and when we're in need of comfort. He knows when we've been taken advantage of. He knows when someone has said or done something to harm us and to to, uh, afflict us that no one else has seen. God has seen it. Because He knows and has seen these things. He is then able to bring us comfort if we seek it out. In our time of need. And this great comfort is overwhelming. And David expresses it in verse uh, 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David doesn't have the capacity. He's a finite creature. He can't even think about all that God knows. And truly when we stop and consider the omniscience of God. And all that he knows about us. It's too much to comprehend. That our finite beings can't handle it. We don't even understand and know ourselves as much and as perfectly as God knows us. And not only this, but God doesn't just know me or you this way, but every individual on the earth, all 7.9 billion of us, Not to mention all the millions of people who have come before in ages past and those that are yet to be in the ages to come. God knows each and every one, everything about them. So it's truly overwhelming to consider the omniscience of God. But for some, this blessing and comfort of God's omniscience can be a great challenge, even even suffocating. But why is that? Because the Lord knows everything about us. He sees during the day. He sees in the darkest of the dark corners. He sees our sin. He knows the sinful thoughts and desires of our hearts that no one else does. He sees our hypocrisy. He sees our greed, our lust, our lies, and our deceitfulness. God sees all this. And there's no way to escape His searching eyes. Although this ought to then motivate us to quickly turn to Him and and confess our sins seeking His forgiveness, it can at times do just the opposite if our hearts are hardened by our sin. So much so that we can foolishly try to escape the searching eyes of the Lord. But then we quickly realize that not only is God omniscient, but He's also omnipresent. That is, God is everywhere. There's nowhere we could possibly go to escape the presence of His Spirit. And this is the next attribute that David considers in verse 7 <clears throat> where can I go from your Spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? And the simple answer is nowhere. Certainly not heaven, because that's the eternal dwelling place of the Lord. Surely He's there but He's also in the depths of hell. Now the word here for hell is Sheol. and it was the place of the dead, the grave. The Spirit of God is even there. Now it may not be a pleasant presence of God, but He's there. He's there in the flames of hell. So that hell itself provides no shelter or hiding place from the holiness, justice, and the wrath of God. This is a great reminder to us that no evildoer will escape God's just judgment. Hell will be no refuge or party place for the evildoer. Because the justice and wrath of God will be there. Well, if there's no place in heaven or hell where we can flee from the presence of God, well, then certainly there's no place on earth. Not even in the farthest land or in the depths of the sea. God is still there. He is ever present. In verse 11 and 12, we see that not even the darkness can hide us from the presence of God. It, It makes no difference to God. Night and day are the same. Remember, before God created all things, His Spirit hovered over the darkness and and He saw all things. But then the first thing He created was light. Why did He create light? Not so that He could see. He could already see everything. But He created light so that He might sustain the creation and the creature that He was about to make. So nothing can hide us from God. But again, as with the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God is intended to be a great comfort to us. As you see in verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. This reminds us of the comforting truth that God is with us, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, because he can't, because he's everywhere. Therefore, we should take heart and be encouraged. We ought not to fear anything, and, and again, this is a, a tremendous practical comfort for those who are facing death or for those who who grieve the loss of a loved one, because we know that the Good Shepherd, even Jesus, walks with us through the dark valley of the shadow of death, he walks with us in our grief. And for the believer on his deathbed, it is Christ Jesus who is then leading him on through death itself. Leading to the table on the other side, the table that, the, that Christ has uh, supplied. A place of abundant joy and blessing in His glorious presence forever. And so it's a great comfort, this presence of God. And another great comfort is that because God is everywhere, well then He always hears our prayers. He never slumbers nor sleeps nor goes on vacation or takes a day off. How awesome is it that God is, is always accessible. So whether we're at home or at church, at work, in the car, on the bus, at the, the taco place, or the, the hospital, and the nursing home, and the prison, even on a deserted island, we're not alone. Because God is always there. His Spirit is with us. He is always ready to hear and answer our prayers because he's present everywhere. Well, then David considers a third attribute of God that causes him to wonder, and that is the omnipotence of God. That is, he's all powerful. Now, the Lord has often ascribed in scriptures the title Almighty, or Hebrew word is El Shaddai. The first appearance of this word we find in Genesis 17, <clears throat> verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. What a great introduction by God to Abram who was about to tell this 99-year-old man that he and his 90-year-old wife would have a son within a year. And though there are other psalms which demonstrate this attribute through God's great and mighty works, including creation and His power over the elements and forces of nature, His power to raise up nations and to bring them down, His power to heal, save, and deliver, here in Psalm 139, David focuses on the unique power of God to create human life. And how even the very design and the functioning of the human body. Even the child in the womb is under his sovereign power and control. Leaving us to wonder in awe. At how wonderfully and marvelously we've been made. Now verses 13 and 16 we might very well term the pro-life verses. Verses. And as these are often the verses quoted by Christians and other pro-life advocates to extol the, the creativity and care of God for the life in the womb of a pregnant woman. As a way to refute the evil arguments of those who thirst for the blood of the unborn through abortion. But David's emphasis here is that each individual human being Though following the same pattern and design of being created in the image of God, male or female, that each individual human being is still yet a very unique individual, known most intimately by his or her Creator. One of the reasons God knows us so well is because He was there present in the womb forming and fashioning us in secret skillfully with great wisdom and purpose designing each individual and equipping them to serve His perfect plan and purpose in life. Verse 16, in your book they sh- all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So here we see God's sovereign power to appoint all things to serve His purpose, even every aspect of our lives. Because He is the Creator, He alone has the power and the authority, as the Westminster Confession, chapter 3, verse 1, or paragraph 1, says, from all eternity, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, to freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. God knows us so well because He has before the foundations of the world not only set the number of our days, but has appointed the way we should walk during those days. The omnipotence of God also brings great comfort to us because as Christians we shouldn't be driven by fear and worry because our God who knows us deeply and intimately is God Almighty. And we know He'll work out His perfect plan and purpose in and through us just as He did when we were being formed and fashioned in the womb of our mothers. But the omnipotence of God also means that there is meaning and purpose to life, to our existence, and even to suffering and tragedy. We may not know now or ever the specific purpose or meaning of a particular event in our lives, whether it's a, a something good or, or bad. But we do know that whether it's a great victory, or whether it's a, a most terrible tragedy, that God will use it to bring about His glory and our good. We see this especially in the wonder of the cross. Christ's death on the cross was a great injustice and it was the most evil deed a put to death by such wicked men. And yet God accomplished our salvation through that evil. That Christ's death for our sins was according to the sovereign purpose, plan and power of God Almighty. And so we wonder at this attribute of God's omnipotence. Well, considering the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. This has given David great pause as he now meditates on all this. Verse 17, he says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. So all these thoughts that God has... All that He knows. Everywhere that He's able to be. All that He's done and is able to do. They truly are precious. And we consider the comfort that each of these attributes bring to us. But I'll say that indeed some of the greatest promises of God that He has given to us are rooted in these very characteristics and attributes. They're so precious to us. And they are so many of them, far beyond what we could possibly count. Think about this how many grains of sand are on a beach? It's an innumerable amount. And then, of course, you would have to count every grain of sand on every beach of all the oceans, of all the seas, of all the lakes, and all the rivers around the world. And then, of course, there's every grain of sand in all the deserts of the world. And every grain of sand in every sandbox, and every backyard, and every sand pit. Do the impossible task of adding up all those grains of sand. And God's thoughts are still far more numerous than that total sum. It's truly overwhelming to think about to meditate upon, to rejoice and give thanks for. And brothers and sisters, remember, this is our God. This is our Creator, our Lord and our Redeemer. This is our Heavenly Father. Our Father who has adopted us into His own family, calling us sons because of what His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. Friends, if meditating on this great truth doesn't shake you free from becoming overwhelmed by the pressures in this life, well then I'm not sure what will. We ought not to be overwhelmed by worry and fear. But we should be overwhelmed by the awesomeness of our God. For as we meditate upon these things, there is great assurance to be found. And so, think about this. The next time that you're at the beach, or even just sitting in a sandbox in the backyard. Scoop up a handful of sand and then let that sand run through your fingers until you're left with one tiny grain of sand. And then hold that tiny grain between your fingers and then ponder, that's me. That's me in the mind and the thoughts of God in this whole sandbox from this whole beach that's me and then consider how intimately he knows you how he's always with you and how he directs his power to carry out his perfect plan for your good and for his glory and then as you drop that grain of sand back onto the beach consider the vast innumerable sum of individual grains of sand Each representing a unique individual uh, that God has created. One who's ever lived, who lives, or who will live. Each individual thought that God has ever had. And God knows them all in the very same complete, perfect, and intimate way. Now that's overwhelming. And it brings great assurance to those who have been especially chosen before the foundation of the world. Who have been called in real time. And who have been redeemed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved of God our creator and redeemer knows us intimately. And his purpose and thoughts toward us are always good and gracious. And this is the assurance that David expresses at the end of verse 18. He says when I awake I am still with you. It's because the Lord is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. omnipotent. David is assured that God has, has preserved him and enabled him to live another day. Now note David's words here. They indicate some possible trouble or distress that he hasn't mentioned up to this point. And this, of is most likely. We remember David's life was filled with, with trouble and distress. But after meditating on the wonder of his creator, David has been strengthened with assurance as he now moves to call the Lord to action. And we come to verse 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh God, depart from me, therefore you blood... uh, Depart from me, therefore you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Now these verses appear abruptly, and and they really seem disjointed from the rest of the psalm. Not to mention the shocking abrasiveness as David shifts from this high, mighty uh, meditation on God's glorious attributes to now what some might call the vile musings of a hate-filled heart, but friends, if we consider these imprecations, these this, this part of the, this is an imprecatory This portion is imprecatory. If we consider them in context. We see that they're they're merely just a call for God's justice to act against evil and evildoers. You see, David has been so overwhelmed with the awesome character of God that it's now fueled his zeal for God's other attributes, like His holiness, His righteousness, and the honor of His name. And though it's true, these wicked ones may have been assaulting David. David's not leveling a personal vendetta here. He's standing up for God's holy name. Because these wicked ones are chiefly enemies of God who seek to destroy the life that God created. Who abuse and curse God's name and who have shown by their thoughts, words and actions that they hate God. It's only because of their hatred for God that they then also have become David's enemies. Because David stands in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And so David calls out for God to act justly and bring these wicked ones to an end. Now, of course, as we read these words in the 21st century, we might think, okay, that's that's fine for David in his time. It was kind of a rough time. They may pose a bit of a, a dilemma because we remember Jesus' commands that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves and that we're to, we must even pray for and, and love our enemies and, and do good things and treat them kindly. And so, is there a contradiction here? Well, no. Can the Christian read and sing these words with a clear conscience? Well, absolutely. For even though we're redeemed by the grace of God, we're called to hate what god hates and this includes hating sin hating evil and hating evildoers again the difference is that the evildoers aren't our own personal enemies that is we're not hating them because they've personally assaulted us or or hurt us in some way or offended us no, there were those kinds of enemies were called to pray for, were called to love, were called to treat kindly as a witness to, uh, uh, to them and, and heap coats of kindness on their heads. You see, a perfect hatred isn't marred by sinful lusts and desires for personal revenge. No, a perfect hatred is a zeal for God's holiness. They become our enemies because they're first enemies of God. And God knows the number of their days, even as He knows ours. Unless they repent, they will be destroyed. Friends, we pray in the Lord's Prayer that God's kingdom will come, that His will be be done on earth as as it is in heaven. Friends, I would set forth for you that this is exactly what David is praying here. That God's justice and holiness and righteousness would prevail on earth even as it is in heaven. And that means that the wicked will be destroyed. But as a check to his own heart, because David is still, though redeemed, he is still a sinful man even as we are. David calls upon the Lord to take action. Once again, verse 23 and 24. Search me, Oh God, and know my heart. Try me and and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David here refuses to be caught up in self righteousness. Something that we can easily fall prey to when we're looking around at God's enemies, at the wicked and the evildoer, and hating them with a perfect hatred. But David acknowledges that he too was once God's enemy. But the Lord had mercy upon him and graciously saved him. Even as Christ has had mercy upon us and graciously saved us when we didn't deserve it, that Christ Jesus died for his enemies. That's who we were, enemies. And so lest we be puffed up with pride when calling for the enemies of God to be destroyed, David returns to how he began the psalm with God's searching, inquisitive eyes peering into the depths of his heart and soul. The Lord has searched him and known him. But now that his heart and and zeal for the Lord has been stirred by this time of meditation on the wonders of God's attributes and his being, David calls for the Lord to search and examine him again so that every false way so that every sinful thought and desire, every worry and fear born out of a lack of faith and trust, so that all these would be exposed, would be confessed, would be cast off and forgiven. So that there's no hindrance or stumbling block that keeps him from the path to everlasting life and the glorious presence of God where there's fullness of joy forever and ever. And ever. Beloved of God. This is the assurance. That we can gain as well. Through faith in Jesus Christ. As we take time to meditate. On the wonders of God's attributes. That he knows us. That he's always with us. And that he works at all things. By his sovereign power. For our good. And to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. The Lord God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks, Father, for this reminder and just this opportunity to, to study and meditate upon who you are and your attributes. And these are just a, a handful of your many perfections. And such great comfort we find here. How you know us so well. You know all our weaknesses and our failings, our shortcomings. You know our needs and our concerns. And that reminds us that we're fully dependent upon you. And because you know us, you know exactly what we need. And that you give us the grace and the strength to endure. And that you're always with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. There's no way we can flee from your presence. May we find great comfort in that. And that by your sovereign almighty power, you can do all things that there's nothing impossible for you. And that this is who you are. And you are our God and we are your people. We are the ones whom you love. That we're greatly undeserving of that love and mercy. You have poured it out upon us abundantly beyond what we could possibly imagine and drawn us into this glorious, wonderful relationship with You through Your Son, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit. Father, we praise You and thank You that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we rejoice and give thanks that You give us purpose in life. And that as we strive to fill that purpose in our lives each and every day, May we always take the time to study your word, to seek you out in prayer and to meditate upon your truth that we can be uh, strengthened for the battles that lie ahead. And so we pray, Father, that your spirit would impress these truths upon all of our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, that we might forever live to glorify your holy name above all things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.